Ladies and gentlemen, moaners and wingers, welcome to Series 5, Episode 3 of One Foot in the Podcast. This week, the pod will be reviewing the, the Affair of the Hollow Lady. I'm joined this week by a former guest all the way in South Africa. It's only Matt. Hi, Matt. Hi, thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming on. And how's it been since I last spoke to you? Uh, things have been pretty good uh, down here. Things have eased off slightly with the lockdown restrictions and things mm. like that. We have electricity all the time. Oh, so it's no, no uh, um, lately. Uh, load shedding yeah, or anything. We've had no load shedding for, for quite a while now, so that's been good. Is that, um, is that what it's like this time of year? Relax the rule, not relax the rules, but why is it okay this time of year and not in the spring, summer? It just comes and goes whenever their power stations break down. So it's, it's totally random. So uh, for, for those who don't have a clue what I'm on about, um, if you remember, Matt, he was on the show for uh, Tricks on the Roof. Yeah. We were the tricks on the roof. We just briefly spoke at the time that for Matt to join the pod, he had to make sure uh, where he lives in South Africa, they have a system in place called load shedding where the residents across parts of South Africa or all of South Africa, correct me if I'm wrong there, their electricity is cut off for one or two hours a day at random points or at a set time. And therefore I had to plan around that naturally. So um Thankfully, Matt's got full access to his electric. And for me, our Wi-Fi's been playing up, so hopefully we don't get cut off. Uh, but I've, had, I've been very much Victor Mildry this last week or two. I've been fending off all the big companies. In some cases, I've been winning with such like car bills. Other, other times, not so much. But there you go. And that's for, that's a, for another Mildry moan. Hopefully, you've got a Mildry moan lined up for later. I, I didn't really ask you, but I always presume a guest will have something to whinge about, which is fine by me. Matt was keen to put his name down for this one. and more than happy to have him back. Why this episode uh, in particular, which did you want to talk about? Why did it resonate? Well, um, when I was on last time, I mentioned the fact that for a long time, the only knowledge I had of uh, One Foot in the Grave was the videotape of Series 1. And I watched that over and over and over, but that was all I knew. And then eventually, in the early 2000s, I ended up catching a airing of this particular episode on one of our TV stations here called ETV. And this was literally the first episode that I saw after Series 1. So, right, first so off, this... I, was, I was just surprised, first of all, by the Riverbank apartment. I'd never seen that before. <laughs> a different house entirely. Yeah. Was it, sorry, was the first ep- what was the first episode you, ever, you watched, sorry? The, the first episode I ever watched was in uh, Series 1. So, different house, was, different yeah. picture entirely, because, yeah, and what a jump to Series 5, yeah, so that would have been a bit of a shock to the system. Well, yeah, so this, exactly. this was my sort of reconnection point with uh, One Foot in the Grave was, was uh, this particular episode, so I was, I was really excited to actually get to see some more of this series that I had been missing all those years. Have you watched this this particular episode many times then, I imagine? Is this the one, well, the, well, Series 5 as a whole, but this particular episode, is it your go-to one-foot episode? It's one of the ones that I return to because of it has a sort of nostalgia value for me, mm. I suppose. I think Series 5 is the strongest. I thought it might have been Series 4, but I, I think, for me, Series 5 will... Uh, summarize this episode obviously much later but from what i read at the time of the series airing it didn't get a huge amount of praise it was a drop in viewing figures from series four that will either tell you that series technically if you've got a series of anything that precedes previous series where 
the numbers have dropped. Does that not say that maybe the previous series wasn't as good? Technically, Series 3 of One Foot was obviously amazing. Series 4 had high figures, probably based on everyone's perception of Series 3. Then, of course, Series 4 ends, and Series 5 comes into play, and people aren't tuning in as much because of what they remember. I don't know, but Series 4 seems to be very, very popular. I just can't, yeah. I just can't think why it, it got 5 or 6 million less a week. So anyway. I suppose most things probably have a, a natural arc that they follow where they reach a peak of popularity and then I guess so, yeah. those people tend to move on to other things to some extent. Yeah, and it, with a lot of um, comedy fans, it seems to me that most fans seem to prefer earlier series of any kind of comedy. Only Fools and Horses, I feel like more often than not, I will read people's opinions that you know the Grandad series was much, much stronger than Albert, but I don't know. From one foot in the grave, the contrast between series one and series you know, four, five, six is so hugely different. It just gets better and better for me. I think series six might dip a little bit. And it's a bit, whenever I, I watch a series six episode, I've, it's a slightly depressing knowing it's the final series and the inevitable happens with Victor, but there you go. Anyway, I think um, if you're ready to go, Matt, let's discuss the affair of the Holy Lady. One foot in the grave. Opening shot. It's the classic view from the top of the Meldrews stairs overlooking the hallway, and this time uh, almost pitch black. And we can see through the front door uh, the translucent windows of Victor and Margaret trying to get in. Sounds like be where have they been? I can't quite work out where they've been. I think to watch Dances with Wolves. Um, they've been they've been to a cinema. Yeah, I presume I presume to a cinema, and they've just watched Dances with Wolves, which um, is quite an epic length film. Uh, one of my favourites, actually. I've never, I've never watched it. Three and a half hours that Victor's, you know, clearly moaning about. Not just because it's three and a half hours, but <laughs> sat next to someone who's been picking their nose the entire side, uh, the right nostril to be specific. Never the left one. I've probably sat on the side that Victor was at when picking his nose, or whoever it is, could have been Ashy. First of all, yeah. Dances with Wolves, a 1990 film, isn't it? From what I've read, That's but this right. is this um, is filmed written 90... by yeah, 1990 <laughs> film directed and starring. Um, Kevin Costner, uh, so, sort of epic American frontier uh, Western sort of story. To be a bit of a pedantic old fool, this was a 1995 series filmed in yeah. 94. So I wonder what they would. I know you can watch some films that do reruns, but it wasn't really a, a thing, was it, in the 90s? I know you can watch an old classic Back to yeah. the Future or something, but. Well, um, interestingly enough, if they were watching the three and a half hour version, they were watching the, the extended cut that came out later because the original cut was only three hours. So that might explain it. So they might, they might have done a re-release based on the uh, unedited version. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I don't suppose it matters too much. I think it just... No. <laughs> maybe it was a film that Renwick enjoyed watching, or I don't know. Who knows? But what I uh, found funny with this this scene is it is that everyday... Oh, sorry, everyday occurrence, but so many times uh, the key to any lock I've used has been a bit, bit dodgy and something you never really get sorted but in victor and margaret's case they've they've had new locks and it's clearly not working for them come on what's the matter i'm bloody freezing out here it won't turn it's jammed again bloody thing joking surely here give it to you i managed it this morning by jiggling it slightly to the bugger turn for god's sake 260 pounds we paid for this for a complete set of new locks so secure even we can't get in. <laughs> Good old J. 
Both getting a little bit shirty with one another, just trying to open open the door. I'm just trying to yeah, think. Yeah, Victor does the, uh, the classic thing of sort of trying to shout at an, an, an inanimate object to, to make it actually work, which obviously doesn't help. He's already, he's already rolled up after sitting, you know, for a long period of time in a cinema next to somebody picking their, their nose. But I'm just trying to work out, was it mentioned why they had to change the locks? So the previous episode was only a story, wasn't it? Yeah, I don't remember a reference, but I haven't actually watched that episode very no. recently. Uh, this series five of one from the podcast, I, I'd usually uh, review them chronologically and understand the previous storyline, but I haven't been doing it this series because different guests have been available at different times. So people will, uh, anyone listening will probably remind me once they listen to this, but there'll be more relevance to the, the, uh, the locksmith later on. Another thing I, I thought of was that this is, this is sort of something that's come up a little bit before in One Foot in the Grave. Uh, in uh, series one, one of Victor's neighbors, when they're having a sort of neighbor uh, meeting in the Meldrews house, the neighbors uh, tells the story of some old fellow who, uh, who, who can't get out the house anymore, not since he's had those new locks fitted. I don't know if you that's, remember that. Oh, that's that a great link. I, do, I, I didn't think at the time, but you've just reminded me. Yeah, that's a brilliant little link there. Poor old Mr. Melrose next door to me. He can't get out of the house at all now. Oh. No, not since he had those new locks fitted. They pay 260 quid for these new locks. Uh, so secure they can't even get in. I presume you know what she meant by the yellow pages? Or was yeah, that reference? yellow pages here as yeah. well. I didn't know if it was a different name. Oh, that's me being ignorant but something that we don't really use anymore for most of us i don't even know if an elderly generation would use yellow pages still if they happen to have access to a smartphone or whatever but tablet i was actually um i was actually walk, walking down the street the other day and there were all these copies of the latest edition that had been left outside people's gates on my way to work i don't know if people even bother to sort of pick them up and take them inside or not they were just no, sort of all we... lying there on the pavement no, we we still get a BT phone book every so often, a waste of paper for, for as far as I'm concerned, but it goes straight in the recycle bin. But there you go. Desperate times calls for desperate measures. And Victor has got himself a ladder. I don't know where I don't know if he's got keys to the garage that, that they're obviously working wherever they keep the ladder, but the he's climbing through very funny visual of Victor climbing through the top part of the window very much struggling it's a, it's a hilarious um, scene they i don't know how he got the wind the window must have been kept ajar i don't know if it was still a wintry period but they've obviously kept the window open uh, victor's very amusingly sort of perched on top of the uh, window pane when the phone starts ringing uh, he's always complaining of cramp isn't he that's no he never doesn't yeah. complain of of a dodgy hip or knee or whatever but he manages to answer the phone and it's quite obvious that a neighbor spotted him because he says Yes, I know there is. Yes, I know. It's me. It's Mrs. Ellsbury's ever, who is nosier than Mrs. Warboy's. She's the neighbourhood watch, isn't she? Uh, unofficially. Um, but then Margaret walks in, which <laughs> she puts some pillows down for Victor to, to land on hand first. And obviously it's a bit of a slow realisation from Victor that Margaret's come in. How the bloody hell did you get in? Yeah, that's how he's... He, um... He starts speaking a sentence often and then only halfway through the sentence realizes what's actually going on and is like, how the hell did you get in? And they, they, I mean, this is very common, isn't it, in a lot of comedies where yeah. Fools and Horses happens all the time with Boise and Rodney, they're mid sentence talking about something totally different and they realize what's just happened. 
Margaret's pretty blasé about it, isn't she? Uh, she just jiggled the key and she eventually got in. But I was also it, quite amused by one of the lines that Victor says on the phone where he, he, he replies to a question, well, why the hell do you think I'm doing it? All because the lady loves milk tray, <laughs> which it was a reference I didn't really quite get, but I, I sort of looked into it and yeah. discovered this series of milk tray adverts, which was done in a sort of James Bond style of this yes. like secret agency type of character getting into these uh, various uh, sort of breaking into fortresses or yeah, yeah. or whatever and, and delivering this milk tray for this lady. And as a huge James Bond fan, I quite mm. enjoyed watching a few of those. And um, there's had sort of Bond style music. And, and in fact, I was looking at looking into it and the stunts for those were actually done by the, the James Bond stuntmen. Uh, a couple oh, okay. of them, Elf Joint and Martin Grace are two stuntmen I was kind of familiar with from my sort of in-depth research into the Bond films. Discovered right. that they actually did those adverts, which was quite cool. That's, that's some uh, homework you've done there. Um, I do, obviously, I'm more than aware of Milk Tray and uh, the, the Lady Loves Tray being a quite, quite famous slogan at the time. But I don't know if people buy Milk Tray anymore. Listeners back home, I'm in a conservatory with a uh, pretty much a tin roof and it's tipping it down. So I'm sorry if the, the, the noise is unbearable. I mean, this might follow uh, my dog barking because whenever he hears the rain, he goes crazy. So that might happen. Apologize to Matt and anyone else who might might find that annoying. The rain should ease off shortly. It's the next morning. Margaret's inhaling some sort of um, ulber soil. Uh, I don't know if they, any particular reason why. I don't know if she's got an ailment or sorts. Yeah, I, I remember that stuff. My my mother had it, and it, mm. it was yeah quite a strong scented thing, and I think clears your nose out when you've got a stuffy nose. It just reminds me of um, staying at home if you're poorly, and you know parents used to put drop a few droplets on your pillow. Uh, yeah. It seems, seems to be that Margaret's done that. Uh, the elbow soil may or may not come in to play later on, but Victor walks in in his white vest and boxes. It's quite a quite a sight. Brings a little <laughs> um, chuckle from the audience. I like what Renwick does here, just chucks in little life observations about peeing at the urinal. There's always uh, one last little dribble. No matter how long you stay there, there's always a little bit more. I think, just think that's quite common for us, us gents possibly for the ladies but certainly from, <laughs> from a bloke point of view it's a thing i feel like i got yeah, one of those strange facts of life you can never work out as victor says <laughs> as he says I, mean, I feel like i've got like a banana shaped bladder so i not to go into too much detail go for a pee lie down i need to go again and that happens a couple of times every night i don't think i've got something wrong with me but that's always happened ever since i was, I was little but yeah, maybe I should get that checked out. Maybe I should do a victim, look at my uh, medical dictionary and uh, look up symptoms of... Uh, well, you'll you never know what you'll discover you have when you yeah, enter the true. medical dictionary. Yeah, I don't think it's as bad as I make out, but it just seems like I always need to go again. Margaret asks Victor if he will still pick up some ingredients for the casserole she's making. Victor doesn't seem too keen, does he? Because the... Uh, he seems to be getting a lot of attention off Millicent, the mm. greengrossing lady, and... Apparently, she's wrapping up his vegetables in a suggestive manner. <laughs> an interesting image. Lipstick marks on the end of a spring onion. I don't know why they use spring onion as a suggestive vegetable rather than, say, I don't know, a cucumber. Yeah. Always afraid to ask oh. for a parsnip, as he says. But 
Yeah, yeah. I suppose they're all phallic enough in their shape. And True. Renwick always loves a little bit of a lavatory joke. I think I think he says I've I've seen an interview with him where he said, to be honest, I think one foot in the grave is a bit top heavy with lavatory jokes, if I'm honest. I don't know about that maybe. I mean you have the the plant in the trial planted in the toilet. Uh, I, think but, but... I mean like little things like I remember like the uh the inflatable banana which Victor uses to beat oh, that yeah. one guy and it goes all oh. droopy. I think that was the example he was talking about when uh, when he said that particular quote. And the hot hot water bottle on the t- on the lavatory seat. Uh, yeah, there's a few. There's a few. Margaret's a little downplaying the the idea that this Millicent Miles would fancy Victor. She must be desperate. And that, she does throw a little bit of banter put down towards Victor, uh, towards his way, doesn't doesn't she? She's um yeah, it's a bit of a recurring theme, and you'll see the same thing. Also, Margaret kind of does the same thing with Mrs. Warboys as well at various points. Yeah. And I just think, is this Millicent Miles who we haven't, we're yet to meet? We, we've never heard of Millicent before, I don't think. She's obviously known in the area. I mean, she's known as the lady who has um, the greengrocers. But the way Margaret responds is to suggest this attractive lady can possibly fancy you. So Margaret must know what she's like. I don't know. But she, again, I think when, when Margaret comes face to face with Millicent, a little bit ahead of myself here, she's not phased by her, is she? But... Because usually Margaret's a little bit insecure, isn't she, with with certain ladies around Victor, and she certainly isn't um, when she first meets her later. Yeah, I'm getting ahead of myself. Takes a while. Yeah. Anyway, back onto the scene. Victor he picks up a bit of tissue, the tissue that the very tissue that Margaret used for the Elba oil, and of course rubs his eyes. I mean, he blow, did he blow his nose or sneeze? Sneezes. He blows his nose or sneezes, and then for some reason rubs his eye with the same tissue. I don't know with why. The, yeah, with the that. snot on. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's. <laughs> It's still funny because the way Richard Wilson portrays Victor is just too good, isn't it? So, yeah. But I do have experience of old bass oil in, around the eyes. For some reason, as as a kid, I used to like rub it on my eye to to make them water. I don't know why I would do that. I know why you did that. I did at some point. I reckon you did that to get off school or um, sympathy. Sympathy. Vote. I remember doing it at school for the amusement of my friends for some reason. Uh. I've got a very, um, very brief story of what I used to play football, uh, 11 aside football, years and years ago when I last played. And I used to hate the freezing cold mornings. It used to be 10 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday. But I overheard someone say something in the changing room, and they were obviously joking. But I thought, I thought it sounded like a good idea. Uh, do you, are you familiar with deep heat? Oh, yes. It's obviously for you sore ankles and th- thighs or legs or whatever, just to, if you've got a, a light injury. Someone in the change room said, if you... <laughs> rubs them on your uh, your your balls, right? Just a little bit. It warms them up, so if you get hit, hit with the football, it's fine. And certainly running around, it makes it easier. So, uh, yeah, I, I did that. I went to the bathroom, and I put a little bit on there. Um, I can't really entertain this on the podcast, but that's okay. I, people can laugh at it. And obviously, I've never been in so much pain in my life. <laughs> I wanted to go home. Uh, yeah, I mean, I chucked so much cold water you know, over that area. Um, it just made it worse, of course. I didn't go home and I end, ended up playing and just right up to kickoff, I just think, I don't know how I'm going to run around here because it's it just some of the most immense pain I've ever been through. And um, obviously got over it because I think I just took my mind off it and played football. But that was ridiculous. Someone in that change room obviously were just being silly. I don't think they were, they didn't tell me directly. I just overheard it. Anyway, that's, um, I guess I can feel Victor's pain somewhat, and as can you when it comes to rubbing it in the eye. Okay, so the doorbell goes, doesn't it? The doorbell goes as he's um, 
he's not able to answer the door, of course, so he accepts the mail through the uh, the living room window. He's got a, a big package, and uh, he also mentions he's got football tickets as well, which he's very excited about. He's off to yeah. Wembley. Yes, he's, he's referenced football previously. I think he referenced it in Warm Champagne when he was yeah, trying he to fix to watch the... the uh, I think it was the UEFA Cup final at, down at a pub, something like that. 4-0 or something, yeah. Um, I believe he's an Arsenal fan. Yeah, I actually looked into that around warm champagne and I couldn't find any reference to Arsenal being in a in a UEFA Cup final around that time, but I don't know. Well, they played uh, Torino in 90... So in this particular episode, it, it references Arsenal and Torino on his tickets and I think they yeah. played in a, in a Cup Winners' Cup quarterfinal in 93, in 94. Yeah, Tony Adams um, scored the only goal over two legs. I don't remember that as such, like a bit like you, I looked it up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's the game that Victor's presumably gone to. Renwick's an Arsenal fan, I'm quite sure of that. Strange they would be at Wembley, though. They wouldn't have, they would have played at Highbury, presumably. Yeah, so Arsenal used to play their European fixtures at Wembley. They they used to swap Highbury for um, Wembley in the 90s. I thought I read that they'd played that that tie against um, t- uh, against Torino at, at Highbury, but maybe I got that wrong. Well, actually, okay, so perhaps I've got, I'm sure, maybe, so that the example of Arsenal v Torino, yeah, in, in real life, they did play at Highbury, but... There was some champions, some Champions League fixtures in the certainly in the later nineties. They they used to play at Wembley. I I thought that might be the case, but the package he's got. So he's got the the tickets and he's got a separate packaging uh, package. Sorry, and he's anticipating to be some gloves he's ordered, and um, they're not gloves. But they're not the gloves he thought they'd be. They're boxing gloves, which is a nice little visual pun. It gets a nice response, so a funny response from Victor. Can't anyone get anything right anymore? No, they can't. Yeah, I'd like to know what sort of gloves he was actually ordering. If there was some sort of glove that has a similar name to a boxing glove, but I'm not sure. Mm, I don't know. Maybe he might have ordered. Or it's just a a completely random, uh, completely random cock-up. I expect it's a catalogue order again with a, a slightly different number. And yeah, he's received boxing gloves, but the boxing gloves relatively key, and they might make an appearance later on. I think in the first instance, you just think it's just a fun little joke for for Renwick to write to bring out the best in Victor. Well, not the best for him, but the best for us, the audience viewer. It's seemingly just a joke, and we leave it at that. He pops the, the kettle on to prepare a cup of tea, presumably, and, and heads out to the hallway. And what happens next is one of those bizarre moments. Well, of course, the, the, the back door starts rattling, and a couple of people come in and head straight for the fridge. And I'd like to think that one of these two might be Jack the burglar who, who pinched his, his oh. TV and his video and all that before because this, whoever these guys are, they know, seem to know his flat pretty well. They sort of come straight in, go straight for the fridge, straight out again, it's no problem so, at all. It's so smooth, isn't it? It's such a quick in-out operation. Hilariously weird, isn't it? It's very... I mean, if it was Jack the burglar, then it would have been John Chalice, of course. Because we established, didn't we, that John Chalice was the voice... Of yeah, but it's not unheard of in in films and things for, for, yeah. for the voice to be dubbed by somebody else. I yes, think. that's true. But yeah, that two two. But I mean, they're they're just dressed all in black with. Have they got balaclavas on? Or they got know. sort of woolly hats on top of their heads, but not yeah. pulled down over the face. Yeah. I don't think. Yeah, and I I don't know why they've nicked it. I mean, why do burglars nick anything? But I don't. 
are trying to recall a reference to, to a time when they've mentioned in the show that they've had people trying to nick something off them previously. I don't know. It, it's um, highly amusing. The fact that Victor's only gone for a matter of seconds because they, they, they take about 10 seconds, don't they? Anyway, Victor comes back in, doesn't really spot it to the last minute because he goes to get some milk for his tea. Absolutely flabbergasted, uh, which brings out an... I do not believe it! Believe it or not, because I'd only seen series one up until this point, this was the first time sort of I realized that that might actually be a recurring phrase that he would say, because he only ever said it once in series one. Yeah, and, yeah. And then he says it here, and I sort of remember that he said it in series one. And then it sort of it was the first time it ever became a recurring phrase for me because of the weird way in which I had watched One Foot in the Grave. Yeah, that is bizarre, isn't it? I think also the stark difference between how Margaret is in series one and a bit of series two to now, because she's so much more harsh and, and quick-witted compared to Margaret in series mm. one. Obviously, characters develop and the writer gets a flavour for what he wants to, to to do with these characters. But yeah, the I don't believe it, you know, what in the name of bloody hell, what in the name of sanity, that becomes more prominent, doesn't it? Sort of series three, four onwards. But through, I think Margaret, does Margaret head down? Yeah, Margaret comes down and Victor sort of starts to explain what's happened, that somebody's stolen the fridge. And Margaret's like, almost like, what do you mean stolen the fridge? And as sort of Victor heads out to, to see if he can see these guys getting away, then of course the mm. phone rings and, yeah, and Margaret answers Margaret, it. it. Yeah, she, yeah. She sort of can't really take in the news that their fridge has just been nicked. Yeah, like you said, the phone rings. Victor, by this point, has dashed out by the back garden to, to see what, what you know if he can spot the uh, the burglars. But it seems like Margaret's received some slightly shocking news. Somebody's not very well. They're in some ward. But when Victor does rush back in, he, he sort of mentions that he just saw the, the truck disappearing at the end of the road. But Margaret yeah. then reveals that Jean's had an accident. Victor does seem to care. Yeah, he sort of goes very quickly from ranting and raving to to sort of being a bit shocked and like his humane side to yeah. some extent kind of appears and he's and he yeah, he, he's like, Oh god, was it was it a bad one? Like a yeah. bad accident. The caring he, the caring side of Victor comes out when you know, when it matters he he does uh Yeah, he, he quickly scared, forgets the complaining about the fridge and sort of yeah. focuses on the more serious issue. Yeah. But it, it's, what's happened is Jean was on her way back from her sister's in Blackpool. So a little bit of detail that of Jean's family. So she's got a sister in Blackpool. And her car went off um, in a ditch, which uh, is very is very Jean. She, she's often associated with driving and, and cars throughout the series. And she does drive like a stereotypical old lady. Um, certainly in one foot in the Algarve. To be fair, that was foreign roads. But... Um, I'm not entirely surprised she's been in a car accident. But, um, yeah, she's uh, in hospital, and Margaret says she'll meet Victor at the hospital in her lunch hour. What I noticed was uh, Margaret wasn't actually dressed for work, was she? And that's uh, to, to suggest in her lunch. I mean, that must be first thing in the morning, I suppose, so she hasn't quite left, but it, it feels like it's much later in the day, but there you go. So that will yeah. set us up nicely for the following scene in the hospital, the fact that Victor has to go separately is quite important it's quite key it is it is and um of course victor arrives in a ward and is immediately greeted by or not greeted by but he sees a, a an old woman in bed very much covered in bandages and neck brace covering yeah. over her eye so her oh, identity yeah. or her face very much obscured but it looks um mrs warboys ish 
Well, this is, yeah, I mean, as far as we're concerned, when we're watching this for the first time, Victor has found his way into the private ward. It's quite a luxurious thing to have there. Of Mrs. Warboy's looking absolutely from top to bottom. She's not in a good way physically. You know, head bandage, half her face covered up, an eye patch. Um, we're told arm. she has a cracked jaw, which means that, that she can't speak. Very convenient, yeah. She barely, this uh, gene is just about able to mumble her way. And Victor's just trying to do his best to tend to her every need and because she can't speak she writes down what she uh what she needs help with before we get to what Jean writes down on on the note to communicate with victor victor says i don't suppose you'll be out uh for christmas i think when was this set i mean episode one aired on christmas day and it was hinted that it was around roughly the christmas period i think so i wonder if, if this episode we're on now there's only episode two how far into the future is this? Like for me, if 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 he's hinting that oh you could be into Christmas, then it's sort of October, November, maybe November at the earliest. So it's a bit of a the timeline's a bit wonky. Not nothing. Yeah, I would really assume that that's the sort of time of year. Um, I don't know if all the episodes are strictly supposed to take place sort of within a short period of time of each other. I think it's just because the fact that the opening episode to series five, that being the man who blew away which obviously aired Christmas Day. That was, I don't, I'm not saying that was a Christmas Day episode, as it was aired Christmas Day, but in the actual plot, it wasn't Christmassy, but there was snow and it was, there was a snowman. And so it was around, it was December, sometime in December. But this is episode two. And, he, and he's saying, I don't suppose you'll be out for Christmas, unless, unless the first episode is a good few weeks before Christmas Day. And then this is very close to Christmas in their timeline. I don't know. I've just been very picky. I just wonder when it was. Yeah. I mean, some episodes of any series are are written and then put out in different orders. They're not always put out in the order that they were written. Um, it's quite a common thing to happen. The the note that Mrs. Warbles is trying to um, write, and she writes down that she needs a commode, which seems to disgruntle Victor. So, like, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll get a um, a nurse onto that. Basically, is, is what he used word for word, but he. He get he tries to get the attention of of some passing nurses. But he's a bit too busy with being called off to to somewhere else. It appears so. Victor yeah. left in probably one of the more awkward situations that he would expect to find himself in. I'm sure he's not very keen on the idea of helping Mrs. Warboy no. to to no. use a mode. I mean, it's it's this scene is complemented with that sort of double bass mischievous music that finds its way into one from the grave you know like doom, 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 which does yeah, that was a, that was something that that also stood out to me when i watched this for the first time because that that was a different feel to yeah to series one as well it is it just adds to the carnival of all doesn't it like it does add a little different dynamic to the the, the, the comedy value but it cuts away from victor trying to get the attention off of a nurse and we're elsewhere in the hospital margaret's walking down the hallway uh, presumably to find margaret and she hears her name called out so she, she does look a bit confused um, as to where this was coming from um, i just wondered if she was about to head to where victor was i don't know but yeah I'll, i think I'll, she was yeah um so she would have made the same she, yeah and then she looks into this big open ward and, and there's mrs warboys sitting upright and in bed looking pretty cheerful that funny flappy wave Mrs. Warboys does. She does it oh, yeah. in the Algarve at the train station from a distance. She's not in such a luxurious bed. She's she's just she's sharing a ward, isn't she, with everyone else? So 
and you know what a brilliant mix-up yeah, yeah. To reveal that that big open award of mrs warboy's sitting there waving just as a visual to to hear the hear the margaret's name called out and then yeah. cut to that and i think there's a bit of a musical cue that goes along with that as well possibly that kind you, of uh, highlights that reveal would would you if you were in victor's shoes do you think you'd have made the same mistake if you were visiting a friend or relative who was as who's you know in as, as big a state as that lady was you know, who who looked sort of similar to Mrs. Warboys, and even her mumbling voice sounded like Mrs. How I imagine Mrs. Warboys. Would do you think you'd make the same mistake? I wouldn't imagine that I would make that mistake with somebody who I've known for as long as as Victor has known yeah. Mrs. Warboys. But yeah. I mean, in the state that she's in, and the amount of coverings on her face, you can yes. just about excuse Victor. Yeah, I think so. I think he deserves to be let off there. But it would happen to Victor, wouldn't it? I mean, it's just the fact that it, it nearly happened to Margaret until, you know, by chance she, she heard her name called out because she'd walked past where Mrs. Warboys sat. I'm curious to, to see who the actress was who played the, the non-Mrs. Warboys, to see if I could find a picture of her without all that covering on her face. But I, and did I you? drew a blank there. She didn't seem to have any other credits on IMDb. So I don't know if she's a, not a, like an established actress or, or, or where she actually came from. I mean, one thing I've learned with doing this podcast is when I look at some of the extras or cameo roles from other actors, they've they've not been in too much. Many of them, they might have starred in a few episodes of series in the 90s and then that, that's it. Some of them have sadly passed away. Some of them just seemingly retired from acting. But yeah, I didn't think to look up this um, this actress. But yeah, anyway, Mar- uh, sorry, Margaret. Mrs. Warboys looks absolutely fine. Um, she's... Uh, quite in good health she's sat up she's um i think she's got some headphones on or something or she's reading a book or she she is in a she's in good spirits yeah and uh, she seems to just have a little sort of plaster or something on her forehead but but no major injury to speak of it sounds like she was actually in a private room but they were um you know it's like musical chairs as she said so she's now been moved elsewhere but yeah. the scene flips back to <laughs> victor is taken on himself to help the, the, the patient uh, onto the commode. It's quite a funny link to Mrs. Warboys saying musical chairs, and then we actually see Victor trying to get a, a patient onto a commode chair. Oh, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't made that link, but yes, very, and very true. My, and it's intention. a very clumsy image, the, the way she's trying to sort of get off the bed and her legs stuck underneath her body. Oh, yeah. Try, kind of trying to help her off. Probably. Feel for Victor in that scenario. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she he he's... a getting a bit wound up isn't he as he's trying to put popper onto the commode it's nice that he's willing to do that though you know um isn't in his world that is mrs warboys and she needs help so he's not he's uh although it's probably quite dangerous to move somebody without physically injured he's trying but there you go it adds to the comedy value in my book this 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 looks like a real hospital to me yeah i'm sure they must have filmed in a in an actual hospital especially for the corridor scenes maybe yeah the, the corridor scene yeah the ward that Mrs. Warboys is in looks, you know, it doesn't look like a few partition walls with, you know, a few props. It looks like a, I mean, the the, the private room the patient's in that, you know, that you could easily that could easily be a set. But the other part of the building looks like it's. Fit. I mean, I don't know, especially now where they'd have how they'd be able to film in hospitals with so much, you know, space and stuff. They have to take a whole ward out. I mean, it's not as if you can just wait till um, the early hours where it's quiet. It's the hospital. Is the hospital, isn't it? It's like. Filming a yeah, supermarket. In my experience with filming in hospitals, 
what often happens is that it's you film in a hospital where it's like a hospital where students are are training ah right things like that so it's often in hospitals that don't have a, a like a high number of of patients in them they're often training hospitals or yeah sometimes even disused hospitals that you can just sort of dress up a, a bit to make them look uh, okay clean again yeah i mean like if you get a, a ward full of um ladies who are about to give birth can you just exit the wall please we need to film a uh, another take back then to mrs Wallboys's bed and um <laughs> she sounds like, well it looks like she's been handed some magazines by margaret um she just plonks them down doesn't she she's like, i know i've read yeah that, she's like read know. that read that read that tosses them aside and margaret yeah. doesn't look particularly impressed by her yeah. attitude mrs Wallboys can sometimes be well she's mostly polite but there's that odd occasion where she's quite abrupt and blunt so yeah, she's just very tactless a lot of the time mm, that's the, that's the good word to use tactless yeah especially around victor as well but she's uh, had some good news while she was in blackpool she won a competition it's just a lottery competition i don't think she had to do anything but first prize lottery ticket so what did you win well i had a choice of 500 pounds in cash 500 pounds oh now don't laugh the chance to have a waxwork made of myself, all properly modelled with casts and everything by one of their experts. Right. <laughs> which did you choose? A choice of five hundred pounds, um, which Margaret's absolutely amazed at. I thought, again, being pedantic, I won't be like, "Wow, you won five I'd be like, "Well, that's a decent amount of money," but Margaret seems ultra excited. I mean, in today's money, it's close to a thousand pounds. So actually, I suppose if I suppose if I rewind a bit, actually, that's quite a decent amount to win. I mean, I'm not going to. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an amount worth getting excited about, but Margaret gets mm. like, particularly excited. Did you like, notice that? excited. D- did you sort of think that when you watched it? You thought like, well, she's like really excited for for Mrs. Walker. Yeah, I, I I definitely did think that. Yeah, I mean, um, she's not. I don't get the impression mrs warboys is short of a few quid i know she's divorced now but she would have had a lot, quite a lot i imagine in the divorce settlement and the, the size of the house she lived in with um her fella chris what are these podcasts for eh? this is why we can we can dissect it to buggery and um be <laughs> pedantic as we like but anyway the choice there was a, she could have, she had a choice actually of winning uh, well of receiving the 500 pounds or the chance of a wax work made of herself. The scene ends there with Margaret saying, well, what did you choose? So yeah, we know that I love she's... the way Margaret's voice and her expression brilliantly changes from that excitement of, uh, all right, 500 pounds, yeah. which did you choose? It's like she changes to this, this like knowing frown. Like she, she knows what the answer is almost before she asks the question. I think a lot she, of people she, would she choose. She kind of can, can tell what Mrs. What Mrs. Warboys would choose in yeah. that scenario. And therefore, we, the audience, know. But I think a lot of people would choose, um, depending on how hard up you are for cash, the waxwork, because that really is a once in a lifetime. I mean, you've got to be pretty vague, vague, sorry, pretty vain to, uh, I guess, want a waxwork of your own self. But I would be intrigued to see what I look like, uh, look in the mirror, but from everyone else's perception, because, you know, that would, that would be pretty amazing. But hmm. I, I wonder, I wonder though, the, the relative value of, what it costs to make a wax work compared to 500 pounds. I'm sure that if they get just giving away 500 pounds, the uh, wax work museum yeah. would get off lightly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I imagine the wax works that cost thousands, but you know, 
think, um, like you said, yeah, they had to do a lot of work there to... Well, the big reveal will come up. What would you choose? Um, I can't imagine wanting to have a waxwork of myself anywhere around me, so no. I'd go for the cash. I, If I'm being honest, if money was no object and I was rolling in it, I'd probably go for the waxwork. Um, okay. And I, what would I do? I don't know what I'd do with the wax. I think I'd eventually melt it down, make candles out of it. But I wonder if, if the value of the £500 matching the waxwork, because it was in Blackpool's Two Swords, not Madame Two Swords of London, which is like the... I just want to... It's the, the cheaper version. will line us up for the joke later, because obviously we'll see this waxwork result. We'll see the final uh, end product. So I guess if it's worth 500 quid, we should expect it to be not, not very good. Scene ends there with pretty much under the assumption Mrs. Warboys has gone for the waxwork um, offer. And we're back in the patient room uh, with Victor now sat with the patient back in bed. Uh, I think he's eating a, a banana, isn't he? Recalling the incident of the stolen fridge. So he's obviously quite rightfully dwelling on that. That's happened that very day. He's still quite calm about it, really, isn't he? I know he's... Uh, in the hospital, but he, and he is dwelling on it, but he's not really that angry. He seems to have let it, no, let he's it go. Just passing the time. Um, mm. I think probably the whole the whole way through, hoping Margaret's going to turn up at some point to relieve him of the burden of conversation. Mm. Um, so he's Which, just sort of making the best of it and sort of nattering away. Yeah, Victor finds a, a reason to leave the the room, and he pops on the television uh, because he he knows that. Uh, favorite program is about to uh, come on, and it's the theme tune to Neighbours. I think there was a a pop at Neighbours in the trial. I think he had a, in the episode the trial. If you cast your mind back, he was he was mm. pretty bored, and he thought I'm too bored to what to want to watch um, the first show of Neighbours. You can hear the patient calling out, sort of trying to. She's desperately not wanting Neighbours on the telly, which is yeah. I mean, it looked like she was asleep, and then sort of woke up with a start when the theme tune kicked in, and then yeah. Yeah, she was mumbling. I, I imagine she's trying to say something that get that don't, crap don't, off. Can't stand bloody neighbors or whatever. She was startled. You're right. She was asleep, and as soon as the theme tune came on, almost jumped out of bed. But she she was asleep before that. All resting her eye, or eye plural, no plural there because the other one's covered up. But Victor must have absolutely bored her to sleep. Going on about the stolen fridge and whatnot, and he leaves. As he as he leaves, he, he bumps into a confused-looking Mrs. Warboys and Margaret. It's a good bit of timing as he steps out into the corridor and he's like, "All right, bye, Mrs. Warboys." And then <laughs> Margaret and Mrs. Warboys actually appear behind him. He turns yeah. around and can't quite believe his eyes. Well, Mrs. Warboys is obviously, as we see, like day allowed out of her bed to to have a little stroll through the uh, the ward to get a bit of exercise. So yeah, it's perfectly timed, and that is definitely a real corridor. That's that's that looks too too like a real hospital. Yeah, that brings us to the end of that scene. To the outside of the hospital, Victor and Margaret are discussing Mrs. Warboys' recent purchase. And Victor's clearly not not happy about you know this item being in their, in their house. It's a funny joke about it being, being too close to the radiator, seeping through the, through the floorboards. I think it's going to be put in their spare bedroom, isn't it? That's why he yeah. says they're not too, too close to the radiator, otherwise it's going to yeah, melt, melt through the, to the floorboards. But And of course, um, because he addresses, he says she's going to start dribbling through the floorboards as, as they pass these two nurses who, who turn yeah. around and look very confused. A bit out of context from their point of view there that they what they've heard but it's that's like a, a patrick moment all over isn't it 
you know, only hearing yeah. one side of it. We're back at home now, Meldrew's kitchen home, and Victor's on the phone to the locksmith try and unlock the back door with a bread knife. It sounds like locksmith is full of bullshit. Oh, yes. Will you really? I seem to remember you swore in your grandmother's grave to come round yesterday. But she's not buried in quicksand. <laughs> what? Because we can't open the front or the back now. It took us half an hour to get this locked again properly yesterday. Now the key's broken off of the... Are you listening to a cricket match there? The joke that follows is brilliant. Pity she's not buried in quicksand, which I thought was a great line. And it is revealed that both the front and the back door is now locked, which is very unfortunate. That's a bit, a bit messy. Um, yeah, and, and very much um, mirrors that, that other character from Series 1 that they mentioned, Mr. Mr. Melrose, it was, who, who couldn't get out of the house. I wonder if he used uh, laverick locks as well. Yeah, possibly. Um but partway into his rambling, that's it, Victor's rambling, he, he thinks he can hear cricket match. So, Yeah, that's I, kind of an odd little aside in the conversation. It's just, I think, again, painting that picture that this tradesman, uh, this, this supposed professional, is just not taking any interest in what Victor's saying, not helpful at all. They've obviously tried to get him back in for the, the crap job he's done previously. Um, and, yeah, also, I think in Hearts of Darkness... Um, when they're at the pub, there's a radio player, and Victor can hear a cricket match. And yes, he's, that's right. And then he celebrates with joy, banging his fist on the table, which um, causes him to get a punch in the eye. So that's the only link to cricket. I can think of why that was at all relevant. Anyway, the door, um, I think the doorbell goes, and it's uh, Millicent. We get to see the infamous Millicent and Miles, played by the great Barbara Windsor. She must have been in her 50s, I think, when this was filmed. Uh, red-headed Barbara Windsor, Babs. She's obviously greeted uh, by Victor at the window. She says, uh, don't worry, I haven't come for your fridge. <laughs> yeah, word's got about that um, the Melges have been burgled. Victor's still got the gentleman on the telephone, hasn't he? Yeah, so he sort of uh, greets Millicent and then goes, goes back to the phone, I think. And uh, he, he asks if... Uh, Okay, you're going to come around tomorrow and you've got my address. It's Victor Meldrew, care of Alcatraz. <laughs> Sarcastic, Sodony. Yeah. Victor is pretty giddy and a bit wary of this Millicent. He's, he switches personality traits quite rapidly because around women, he tends to get a little bit, not frightened, but he's just unsure how to play, isn't he? He doesn't always read the situation yeah. very well. And especially since he's noticed this excessive attention that he's been getting from from Millicent, I think it, it adds to his awkwardness in the situation. Yeah. Well, Millicent, she tries to climb through the, the window. Actually, before I go into that, if you see the shot of uh, Barbara Windsor at the, at the window and the background painting of the of Riverbank, it's just so... You don't really notice it when you first watch it or as, as, a, young, as a young kid, but it's so obvious. I don't know yeah, it has I, to be because it's... I started to notice those, those background paintings since I started listening to this podcast and the it's been mentioned a few times, so I've started I actually noticing them. I'm, I'm, I am fascinated with how studio sets make sure the the any window scene or any image of a win, imagery of a window, how they set up the so-called outdoors. Because it's not to say it's a rubbish painting; it looks it's pretty good. But it's you look you don't have to look that carefully. I mean, if you ever watched Dad's Army, I mean that was just, you know, we're talking late sixties, early seventies even worse because they didn't even try to cover up certain artsy background scenes, you know? 
I remember Fools and Horses, just trying to think as a young boy, how are they doing this? Because the, the, the outdoor, you know, the Dell's cocktail bar, and then it's got the window behind that with the balcony. Yeah. It just looked pretty realistic to me, and it still does. It's pretty good for late 80s, early 90s. But yeah. I mean, that whole craft of doing background paintings and, and matte paintings yeah. for film and stuff was, was like a real art back in the day. Um, yeah. Something I find quite charming about old films and TV yeah. shows and that. It's sort of lost nowadays in the all digitalized the green, green screen screens now. And yeah, yeah, computer generated stuff. Millicent is climbing through the window with a big old pack of spuds, which fall absolutely everywhere. And she's summarizing oh, everything that's happening to you lately is just all bad. You know, she's very apologetic and showing a lot of empathy and sympathy. I wonder if it's just planting a seed in 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 Victor's mind, you know, because she's obviously fancies him and she's just. Mm trying to butter him up and I, I like i like the little exchange where she says i mean everything's been going on lately even yesterday in the pub uh, a young girl went for my purse just stuck her hand under the table and uh, and grabbed hold of it to which victor uh, replies poor old purse is he okay <laughs> wasn't paying attention was he because she clearly said young yeah. girl um but yeah funny little exchange but after victor's almost like almost um i mean if we didn't know any better if we didn't know victor's character you could almost presume he's just said that on purpose just to end on a, a pun type punchline. Millicent says she's you know she lost her husband five years ago but states they weren't very close anyway. Millicent making it nice and clear that she's a available single and ready to mingle <laughs> shall we say. Um, Victor's is lost on Victor. He's uh, but she starts to inappropriately flirt really. She gets quite close and she put, puts her hand in his uh, cardigan pocket. I think you get a feeling don't you? When something's there and when it isn't. But she's actually grabbing a spud, but it's very suggestive. Yeah. It's a sort of very kind of tense uh, scene for Victor as he's sort of standing there, kind of quite rigid, not knowing what to do with himself. And he's saved by the fact that Margaret climbs through the window, which they both sort of space apart, especially Millicent, because she's like, oh, God. Um, and Margaret points out that to Millicent's fan doors open and um, Mrs. Ellsbury's boys are dropkicking an aubergine. Like we said earlier about Margaret and Mrs. Uh, Millicent, they don't seem like little rivals. Margaret's quite ple- well, pleasant enough to Millicent. There's no uh, animosity. So She gives her a little bit of a funny look as she, as she leaves mm. and climbs through the, uh, through the window, almost like checking out to see if there's anything in what Victor has been saying. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, she, she's. I mean, Margaret is so far apart from the idea that she would fancy Victor. She she exits the scene. Well, then Margaret notices that the oh. lamp's broken and the lampshade's yeah. sitting on the floor. And Victor says that the thread broke in the middle, and they probably ain't gonna have to get a a new lampstand. Any little detail like this will matter. Margaret takes Victor to the downstairs uh, toilet. If the downstairs toilet is ever mentioned or used, there's almost always something funny. There's always uh, something that's gone wrong. And she uh, would like to reveal the, bi- the big reveal of... Victor says that it was dropped off earlier that morning. Yeah, I couldn't remember if it was Margaret showing Victor the, the big reveal. But yeah, it's Victor's already seen it. Yeah, he's, he's, he's yeah, plonked in the downstairs toilet. It's like a polystyrene, polystyrene box, box over the head. Which is, and then Margaret asks if he's if he's had a look, and he says, "Yes, I'm afraid I have." <laughs> Which classic Victor style. 
gives an indication it's going to be an absolute mare, which uh, we all get to witness the uh, reveal of Margaret. And it brings out a, a roar of laughter. And it's, I thought when I, the first several hundred times I watched this, I actually thought it was a very good likeness. You can tell it's Mrs. Warboys, but uh, they're obviously horrified by the the, the result. What, what did you think when you first saw it? Um, I suppose I would say it's a, it's a, it's a bit of a likeness, but the the uh, inane grin that that she has and the uh, waxwork, I don't think I've ever seen Mrs. Warboys grin like that. So that that's what sort of throws me off a little bit. Yes, she does politely smile in parts, but when when you look at the the nose. It's a, it's a totally different the yeah, facial features it's just I think it is actually well out the only thing they've really got is the hairstyle um, and the clothes and of course the, uh, the clothing and the posture feels for yeah. Mrs. Warboys yeah and I don't think Doreen Mantle was best uh, too impressed with it either um, she was just as horrified with it as Mrs. Warboys may or may not be later on later on in the, into the I think it's later in the evening or the same day Margaret's washing up and she's got like a bit of a scuffed tea towel and accuses Victor of using it to dry the, the cheese grater. It's, 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 there's no relevance to that. It's just a nice little... Yeah, just, just like a little, a little observation those, character moment. Yeah, just one of those things that does happen. Like, if you <laughs> if you use the wrong... Dry it the wrong utensil the, with the wrong type of tea towel, these, these things happen. It doesn't. It really doesn't matter, but it's still funny because it's quite true to life, you know. It does, it's yeah. just silly. So Victor's been waiting for around six hours, presumably for the, the locksmith to to arrive. He's sick of... I mean, the number of times Victor's had to wait in for, for tradespeople, yeah. builders... And then and... he says, and it's his day off tomorrow. I'll give him a bloody day off, ruddy locksmith. <laughs> and I, I like that little combination of bloody and ruddy, those two yeah. words. They ran with each other, and it's a sort of nice combination of those sort of charming, inoffensive expletives. Much more... And it's much more funny than sort of or effing and jeffing or whatever. It is funny because it's it 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 puts a bit more innocence um, and realism into. I know in reality a lot of us would probably would use stronger language, depending on how angry you are. But for a family sitcom, it does f- fit nicely because Victor isn't a nasty person and he wouldn't use. He does use some bad language, but he'd never say certain words. It's a Meldrimone in its own right, just waiting for companies or people to get back to you. And with coronavirus, it's just used as an endless excuse. Um, due to the pandemic, um, we haven't got as many staff, so we can't get back to you. But, you know, I, I don't think I buy that excuse anymore, for me personally, not for the much larger companies uh, that I've had to deal with lately, that I've had to fend off and um, battle. But Victor's got a plan up his sleeve. I'd say well, before dashes into the uh, the dining area and we see a, sh- a shot right in the distance of the living room of the lampshade which is placed on top of the wax model of Mrs. Warboys. It kind of, I didn't quite notice it to start with because I could hear the audience laugh and I thought, what they, what they chirp? Oh, and I rewound it back and yeah, I could the, see. The funny thing is, I, I mean, I, I've watched this episode quite a number of times and it only really consciously stood out to me when I was watching it and making notes for this particular recording. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a detail that had passed me by. If you, if you think about it, it does blend in the background. I mean, it's like with the creamy white walls and, and what the, the wax model of Mrs. Warboys is wearing, it, you, you can almost get away with that fact. 
But I thought, why are the audience laughing? Oh yeah, it's the the waxwork in the in the background covered. Obviously, they don't want in the downstairs Kazi, but just the peculiar sight that they're willing just to keep it stood up in the the back end of their dining uh, living room with the the lampshade on top is just shows you how much they how much much disregard they've got for that that piece of art, shall we say? But Victor's yeah. come up with a plan, hasn't he? We don't know what the plan is, but he's getting out of the map and he's looking at the yellow pages and he's plotting something. And it's at this point that minor details of Victor's social gathering he's got the next day for the football. Um, as as asked by Margaret, he's catching a 555 train with his, with his mates. It's nice that he's got a group of pals he meets up with. So he's not a lonely guy. He, he does know people. Uh, football's on at half seven, so it gives him uh, enough time to run a few errands, as he as he puts it. Whilst glasses on at the at the table with his map and the yellow pages or whatever, it's interesting. Yellow pages is mentioned again, as Margaret had right at the first scene. Yeah, it gives and, us that little visual link back to hmm. what Margaret had said yeah. in in the first scene. Yes, yeah, gives us a clue what what Victor is up to. Yeah. And the following scene shows Victor outside um, a house. We don't know whose house this is, but we suspect it's going to be this locksmith. And it's uh, locksmith, Mr. Laverick, played by Nick Maloney. Uh, for the second time, he is stars in One Foot in the Grave, uh, previously the car mechanic. So he's played two roles where they both irritated Victor in different ways. But, you know, yes, Victor is confronting uh, the tradesman, the bullshit tradesman, and he's looks like he's got this grand old house in the country. And I, I love how he comes out in this sort of salmon pink <laughs> gown yeah. to the door. Uh, Victor there in this sort of serious sort of beige coat and his hat and all that. He's sort of got the upper hand, at least in in terms of how he's dressed for the encounter. I think Victor's been an absolute hero here. He's doing what we all want to do with certain individuals and organisations who do just bullshit their way through to hoping that you forget about the situation and move on. But Victor does, Victor uses such a funny phrase I've not heard him use before. I'm not prepared to be pissed around any longer. Oh, yes. And And I like how he asks Mr. Laverick, are you Mr. Laverick? Over Laverick locks and bolts for all your household security needs. I like how he sort of yeah. The name, the company name, and the company slogan, all in, all in yeah. one go. It's building up a nice. It's almost like a. It, he he's all he's all fired up, isn't he? Ready to give it a bit of a taste of his, taste of his own medicine, and he distracts Laverick with the idea there's some midges in the way. Mentioned midges in Love and Death, and as he says that, he takes the key from well, the. First of all, I think I I love how Mister Laverick changes from being very offish, like mm. who's the strange person who sh- showed up at my door. And as soon as uh, Victor explains the situation that he's been waiting in, it's Mr. Meldrew. He's like, Mr. Meldrew, how are you? I haven't forgotten you. Only we've had a few problems at the office this week. I can only apologise most sincerely. And I promise someone will be around first thing tomorrow morning on my absolute word of honour. Ah, Mr. Meldrew, haven't forgotten about you. (laughs) He sort of switches into that sort of charming, that front desk charm. Yeah. uh, Trying to sort of work his way out of the situation. Yeah, he he knows he's being rumbled, doesn't he? Yeah, but Victor approaches the 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 porch entrance to the house. Says, "Oh, there's some midges." Um, sort of wafts his hand out, the, you know, in the, out the way. Like I said, mentions midges in Lo- Love and Death episode, but this distracts Laverick as he turns around 
and Victor comes and sort of in behind him and, and closes his his main door, grabs the key to the porch door, locks him in, and yeah, he's absolutely done him. Of course, the classic uh, hoisting someone by their own petard, the sort of the thing that that is the the sort of thing that they've done to you, doing it back to them. Yeah, a bit poetic justice, if you like. He's now a locksmith locked in, not locked in his house. I mean, he's, he's very so close, but so far away from his own property. And Victor starts antagonizing him, you know, offering to post the, the key back. The, the little shot where it's from Mr. Laverick's point of view, looking out <laughs> through the uh, letterbox with a sort of his fingers in the yeah. foreground of the shot, sort of very, I'd say, unconventional <laughs> for a sitcom in terms of the way it's shot. It's sort of like, for, for a relatively traditional uh, style sitcom like One Foot in the Grave, that, that shot sort of gives it a little bit of a touch of the 21st century sort of peep show style of, of shooting. Yeah, yeah, it is actually. It's the ahead of its time in that regard. But he does um, sort of rub salt into the wound by saying, I'm sure your wife will uh, be back soon. Oh, no, you don't have a wife. I don't know how Victor possibly knows that. I've, in that moment, I did feel sorry for the guy because although he's... You know, he's been an arse to Victor and he lives in this lovely big house, you know, still on his own. I, I just, that pulled at my heartstring momentarily, even though this guy's in the wrong. He makes Laverick apologise and he begrudgingly, you know, says please and he get, I think gets him to repeat a second time. And Nick Maloney's way of saying please did make me laugh. Like, he's yeah. one simple word and the way he delivered it made me chuckle. And then I enjoy Victor's glee with the uh, licking the envelope and popping yeah. the key in. He says, I'll put a first class stamp on that. Well, he's uh, lucky, lucky to put a first to, to class. Me, Could have put a second class well, stamp on Well, at the time, it. I was like, a first class stamp? What's that? That didn't make any sense to me at the time. Instead of being, I was intrigued by, uh, there's such a thing as a first class stamp? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, Ponce in Britain is a first class stamp. So. But yeah, he's lucky that it's not second class. That would have been three to five days. Uh, but first class is usually the next day if it's before the postman picks up. And um, yeah, that's that's Laverick done for for the next. Well, if that if that is towards teeth, I think yeah, that's hmm, it's before the football, isn't it? So he might yeah. the, the postman might pick up that letter that he's posting before four p.m. or whenever the collection point is. So he, it could be two days that Laverick's waiting inside for. I don't know what he's going to do. I mean. I, would you sit? Would you sit it out, or would you bash the door in? What would you do? Well, that's a tough question. Um, Riveting stuff on one for the podcast here. <laughs> would you bash your own door in if but, you were to wait at least what twenty four hours, possibly thirty six, forty eight? I, I I'm not sure if I have the uh, the strength to bash a door in with so little space to run up. It doesn't look like a cheap... It, he's in a big old house. That front door looks quite a chunky bit of yeah, and he, oak wood. I don't know if I'd be able to... He's a good set of locks on it, I, I presume. They're, mm. they're not just going to bust open at a, yeah. a gentle nudge. Yeah, it's hard to say, but Victor's passing comment is to, to not um, water the umbrella plant, highlighting that it'll be basically there overnight peeing in uh, the plant pot. The only thing I thought was he doesn't know Laverick that well. He doesn't know what kind of a psychopath he is or who he knows. And to do this to Laverick, I know he's getting his own back, but surely that's going to make Laverick... Laverick knows where he lives at the end of the day. He's done the locks, so he can come back twice as heavy, couldn't he? I don't know. Victor's very brave. I know he'll dwell on it later, but quite a brave move. 
I don't know what sort of trouble Victor well, yeah, can he, he Victor does tend sometimes to pick fights with people who, who do come at him a bit yeah. a bit heavier than, than Victor. Yes. I don't know what kind of trouble Victor would get in get into if this was real life. Holding someone captive without being there. I don't know if that's that counts, but um I guess we've got to applaud Victor. He's he's taken enough crap. He's paid a few hundred quid for these locks. Both doors don't work and He's had to wait an hour after hour for him to come back, and he hasn't. So, for the sake of the comedy, well, well played, Victor. Yeah, very well played. Well, the next thing, Victor stood at the bus stop. So this is obviously on his way to the football. He's by Lafrick's house. He's um, at the bus stop. Millicent spots Victor nearby. He's quite uneasy around happy people. When there's, I don't know, it's just women, like we said earlier, or anyone that's quite jolly. He's quite nervy of them. But Millicent rather playfully offers to uh, take him to the train station herself is she's you know she's got a delivery to do it's uh 10 minutes away so it does seem a little bit concerned that that uh he might be waiting a bit too long for that bus he's sort of a little bit more willing to take her up on it but he does have to sort of squeeze himself into the back of this this van with in between all the vegetables absolutely chock-a-block isn't it and he said he's got his trains at six it's actually at 5:55, victor so you're actually going to be late no matter what <laughs> just to be you know <laughs> It's 5.55, it's 5.55. If he's aiming to get there for six, I know he's just rounding up for time, but uh, I th- actually, just an observation, I thought Barbara Windsor, I think she was about 57 when this was filmed, she still looks really uh, lovely. I mean, she's, you know, she's never not been lovely in appearance, but for 57, she looked quite, quite amazing, I, th- I felt. Yeah, I'd actually never, I'd never seen her in anything before I watched this episode. None yeah, of the carry-on really films or... Since I've seen, since I watched this, I've seen pretty much all the Carry On films. Right, but that's still like basically all I know her from. Yeah. I haven't seen any, any of her other like EastEnders or whatever. Yeah, because I think this is what ninety four, ninety five. So I think she would have, yeah, she'd have been a couple of years into EastEnders by this point. Millicent so far quite harmless, nice enough, and she's struggles with a huge bag of spuds. Uh, funny little she's model. She's got this very um, mischievous, jaunty theme music that that plays in these scenes, yeah. which, I, which I quite enjoy. And then, yeah, she, she delivers another bag of potatoes, and it's quite a funny sight with her sort of strange gait that she has, like struggling under this bag of potatoes with the high heels on, yeah. and the, the she... sort of little legs underneath the big bag of potatoes. <laughs> the music you speak of with certain characters, they, they, they started that probably series four onwards, or one from the Algarve onwards, so depending on the character, there's a mischievous character, be that sort of mischievous music. I mean, one from the Algarve with, with the boxer and his family, it was quite sort of um, cool music playing whenever he was on screen. Whenever it was the Peter Cook, actor Peter Cook, when it was his scenes, it was sort of snidey, sort of mischievous music. So it's quite quite clever, really. It goes goes nicely with, with uh, each scene that passes. Uh, so whilst Babs Windsor, Millicent, while she is delivering um, a some veg to an elderly lady. The police uh, have impounded, well, it's like an impounded repossession truck collects the van. I don't know why. I know it's referenced by Millicent that it's looking a bit nap and untidy and it might look like it's just been dumped down the road, but I don't quite know why they're collecting it. I always just assumed that's what happens when you park in the wrong place or something like that. Yeah. Like if you park in a really illegal place, they might take your van away, but it seems a very sudden thing to happen i don't know if it, she was parked on double yellows but i don't think that was something that would happen that quick i mean it's very unlucky the fact that she's been there for 
a few minutes. You, I'm just looking back now. You can't see double yellow lines. Uh, yes, you can. Yeah. So I've just looked back now. She was part of double yellows. So I thought they would have just clamped the old wheel and provided a fine. But yeah, it fits perfectly well with Victor's situation because he's going to be late for sure. He's trying to get the attention of the repossession guys. This also happened. A similar thing happens in Tales of Terror in Series 6 where at the car garage he gets in the wrong car. And oh, yes, and he ends up on the back of the lorry, yeah. doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of used again in that episode. You know, slightly different, slightly different scenario, but ultimately being taken away against his will without people realising. I do um, feel for Victor. You were on the way to a big night of football uh, with your mates, and, yeah, you're going to miss it now. Heart goes out to him. Back at the Mildrews, you can see Margaret uh, sound asleep on the sofa. Shocker had a long day. Uh, Mrs. Warboys is now out of hospital. Lovely to see. She lets herself in around the back. Door lock seemingly fixed, I presume. Well, yeah, she uh, comments that uh, so you got managed to get the the lock open in the end. Yeah, yeah. Um, but of course, Margaret doesn't really respond. She's still uh, fast asleep, and she's still daisy, isn't she? She's, she's yeah, yeah. She's had a long kick. I don't think the the last person she expects to see probably in the moment is. Mrs. Warboys, subconsciously she knows she's in the hospital. The joke of putting the wax model where the lamp shade was has worked perfectly because she's picked up the, the lamp shade cover, plonked it on Mrs. Warboys, who happens to be wearing the exact same clothing as the waxwork model. I like how she comes in wearing a, I think it's a black cardigan or something, and then she takes it off, yes. sort of turning her costume into the identical thing that the wax work is, is wearing. I wonder if adds the gag for a little bit longer. I wonder if Margaret would have spotted Jean uh, if she'd been wearing that black jacket. Would she have noticed that in her peripherals? I don't know. But <laughs> Mrs. Warboys calls out, you know, Margaret. Margaret looks back and is, oh, you know, a little shocked to see um, Jean. Yeah, it's a great gag, and I think the audience really oh, laughed hard at that one. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, it's really, it's really clever. Back at the compound now, Victor is, yes, yeah, certainly late for the football match. He's very bemused seems to hold back he's not really taking it out on Millicent but he is a little bit snappy than he was before he's he's been a bit smiley and putting on a front for her up until now but yeah he's he's definitely annoyed as you would be she does offer an alternative to watch it on the sports channels in the early mid-90s watching live football on the television wasn't as common as it is now and to have sky or cable you know you have to have a quite a few quid on on you to be able to afford it back then and um and football wasn't shown as much so actually i used to get so excited to watch you know football on the telly as a match of the day that was quite well, a lot i mean i find it amusing that me living here in south africa it's like every single premier league game is broadcast live yeah for us but not every game is broadcast live in england it's bad isn't it yeah if victor was a single guy this isn't a bad alternative you can watch the football on the telly um, Millicent, you know, is quite an attractive lady. I know she's, I'm not going to say she's old, but Victor is old. So he might have worked out all right in another life. I think he settles for that. It's very brave of him to watch the football at another lady's house who he knows probably fancies her. I don't think he tells Margaret, does he? Yeah, he doesn't, he doesn't tell her that he's, that he's heading there. He certainly is, he should know he's stepping into some sort of a trap given. Yeah. Millicent's previous attentions. Yeah, Victor accepts the offer. I don't think he just he's not still not that pleased about it. 
back at the, the scene switches back to the Meldrews and we're in the spare bedroom quite a we're not we don't see the spare bedroom that much we did see it in the secret seven sorcerers we've seen it in a even earlier episode i think alfred his brother stayed there but it's quite a rare luxury to see the spare bedroom and this is the moment where absolutely priceless mrs always discovers the results of the waxwork model and she she doesn't like it either great um, contrast between the uh, grin on the waxwork face and Yes, Mrs. Warboy's sort of glum expression. And yeah. of course, Margaret also standing there, sort of staring at the whole scenario, sort of straight-faced. I don't really know what to say. It's such a weird scene, though, isn't it? Like, just to look at... I mean, she, it doesn't help, of course, that she's dressed exactly the same, same haircut, same posture. But she's not best pleased with it. She's a little bit embarrassed. I must have been... <sighs> Out of my tiny mind to think that anyone would want this in their house other than to scare away the rats. And Margaret, I don't know if she does says this on purpose. It's a very good likeness there. <laughs> does Margaret mean that yeah, or is she having a dig? I think it's a I think it's a little dig. You, you sort of get the impression that Margaret is <laughs> is sort of had a little bit of enough of Mrs. Warboys in this whole scenario with her choosing to have a waxwork and then having it delivered to the Meldrews and sort of having it around their house. Yeah. It's like she thinks she's such a silly, batty old woman to have wanted this in the first place. So she sort of serves her right that she she's disappointed by it when, when it arrives. And uh, yeah, I think it's very much a dig where she says, uh, pretty good likeness. <laughs> and then of course has to recover and say, just like, you know, the way they've captured your smile. <laughs> like I said, I, I thought it was quite a good um, likeness back in there. When I first when I watched this, you know, as a young boy, but I do think it's the whole. Unless it's made at Madame Tussauds in London, it's going to be a load of rubbish. And the fact she's been to Blackpool, and it's probably worth five hundred quid because that was the alternative uh, prize value. It's, it was always going to be a little bit dodgy. I mean, apart from melting it down or chucking it away, I don't know if you can ever make your money back on a wax work max bottle of someone that's a total stranger i think you could probably still sell it someone could use it as a prop in some regard she's she's a little bit gutted she asked margaret what day did the dustman come around and margaret's oh, yeah. very quick with the response friday straight faced uh, yeah. deadpan no hesitation so it's margaret again sort of being really sharp and prickly in that scene Jean walks out and just leaves it there. I don't think it, that's gone down too well with margaret the fact they've got to keep it there a bit and longer margaret's sort of like what, you minute. can't just leave this here type of thing. Yeah. Um, at Millicent's, Victor is sat on the sofa, glass of, oh, what was he drinking? Uh, it's brandy. Is it brandy? He's probably topped a, up again. Yeah, I think he's a bit intoxicated, but he's, he's glum. They, they lost the football, so after all that, probably wasn't worth going anyway. Uh, well, I, was, I was listening to what the commentator said, and it sounds to me like, because he, he says... Uh, that neither side could find the reserve of form or character to lift this match out of the doldrums. So it sounds like a, a dull nil-nil to me. Yeah. Well, like in real life... I was, was... Looking, I was just browsing on IMDb. In fact, yeah, the nil-nil sounds like the first leg of that, yeah. that yeah. actual tie between Torino and Arsenal. Yeah. And on IMDb, it said that the commentator was Jimmy Hill. Yes. Um, yeah, it's Jimmy Hill. I'm not, I'm not sure about that. Uh, like, I... I'm not that familiar with Jimmy Hill, but I didn't think it sounded totally like him. Mm, I'll have to play it back because I didn't really 
Because when, I, when I read that, I went and listened again, and I, yeah, I wasn't sure. It looked to me like one of those fake IMDb facts, potentially. Yeah, I think we, we, we've had this, haven't we, with, is it John Chalice or is it someone else on the other end of the telephone? And of course, it was John Chalice. But Millicent is turning to Victor's every knee. She's topping up his glass. I mean, he must know what's coming. He obviously doesn't, but the rest of us might have some clue. Well, he does uh, sort of make this embarrassed, almost sort of chuckle. <laughs> And then sort of make his excuses. He sort of stands up and says, well, it wasn't, my, it wasn't worth going to Wembley yeah. for anyway. And yeah. he sort of says that he'll be on his way and he's going to have a walk home, taking the fresh air. Yeah, I mean, she, Millicent's, she's manipulating Victor now. You know, you're, you're going to leave me on, on my own, all alone. And he's trying to escape the clutches of, of her intimacy. Mm. And she, she goes from that subtle, subtle flirting, sort of flat out. Anyway, bedtime. Turns out the lights very forward. Victor a little hesitant, and Millicent walks up the uh, stairs. And uh, well, Victor's very. F- I love the. I love as she says bedtime, and he turns. She turns off the light. Victor's like, hmm. He like the, <laughs> has a very funny, hmm. Um, you, and then she sort of sidles out the room, and do you think he Victor get- sort of goes to get his his coat? Sort of slowly turns and looks up the stairs, and you're not quite <laughs> sure what he's thinking. Um, and it, his his body language doesn't really give anything away in the scene. Oh, um, po- we really are face. left left um to make up our own minds and he's, he starts walking up the stairs yeah he can't believe when you first watch it think oh, i can't believe victor's doing that he's a very loyal bloke and and wow he's 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 looking at a bit of a bit of uh, mischievousness about him i, I mean do, do you think he knew at the you know in the moment what was going on i mean it's, it looks like you know from if you're watching this for the first time, bloody hell, he's, he can't be, because he, like you said, he goes to get his coat, oh, I've got second thoughts, goes back up the stairs, he's got the music playing as well, it's, you know, a bit and it, like, it's, it's sort of switched from that sort of jaunty theme into a sort of slightly sleazy, yeah. seductive version of it, which is really nice. And of course, that's, that ties in with Victor sort of turning around, almost like weighing up the situation in his head is what it looks like to us. And then for some or other reason, he decides he's going to make his way up the stairs at that point. I find it odd that the audience laugh because they've been invested in the Meldrews for five series now. And you think, I know it was, it was funny with how he had that little naughty schoolboy look on his face. But ultimately, as far as we're concerned, he's about to be unfaithful to Margaret. So I don't know why the audience are sort of laughing, really. But it's quite hard laughter. You think there yeah. might be a few sighs of, oh, God, or just silence, but no. Um, he's had quite a few encounters with different women, though, hasn't he? Like, go back to series one, the art teacher, Doreen yes, Oliveira. Um, she, she Doreen, was, yeah. She's definitely had a thing for him. And the two Portuguese girls in Love and Death, plus April, Vincent April, she had a soft spot for him. And I guess, to a certain extent, Isabella in one foot in the Algarve, the lady he helped not choke on her sandwich, did the Heimlich maneuver on her. Katie, do you remember Futility of the Fly, the, the cleaner? Yes. Katie, she, yes, the cleaning mean, lady, yeah. Not to say she fancied him, but she's had to get a bra out in front of him in the bedroom. Right. And, well, whether it's a sports bra or bar, bra, sorry, is um, a debate we had another time. So he, he gets this yes. odd this odd interaction from the, the ladies that he doesn't quite read the situation very well. But yeah, that's a um, bit of a shocker. When we were in um, in that sort of entrance hall and Victor standing there, it actually reminded me quite a bit of the Meldrews house from series one. I, oh, do you know what? Similar I, layout, similar wallpaper. Yeah, I made it. It, it, I, it very much reminded me of that. I made the same note. I, you just reminded me. I didn't think to... Yeah, it does. 
stink of uh, Wingate, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's funny that you saw the same as I did. Back at the Meldrews in the kitchen, Margaret washing her hands after coming back from uh, the outdoors. She answered the telephone and it's Millicent. This scene will flip back and forward to Millicent, you know, a close-up shot of her, her face. 4291. Hello, Margaret. It's Millicent from the Greengrocers. Victor's still not home yet. Uh, no. He's in London with some friends for the football. I don't imagine he'll be... How did you know that? Ah, well, I don't suppose there's any point in trying to keep it from you. I'm afraid your husband didn't actually go to London tonight. He's been here, at my place. I don't think I need to paint a picture, do I? Suffice to say, it was a lot more fun than football. Millicent suddenly gone into sort of full-on sort of bitch mode now, isn't she? Really um, rubbing it into Margaret, you know, straight away. For no apparent reason. I know what Margaret's ever done to Millicent, apart from being with the, with the chap she seemingly wants to be with. The thing I find quite odd about this, this scene is that the lighting in Millicent's room, I don't know if you've had the same impression at all, but I've always thought that the, the way they lit Millicent's room, it actually looks more like morning. And then the way... And then it's obviously lit very much as, as a night scene in, in Margaret and Victor's house. So I always got confused when I watched this because it almost looks like uh, Millicent sitting in her room in the morning. It's got, it's got a very yeah. sort of daylight color to the, Possibly. To the scene. I, I always thought that was quite strange. I'm looking at, back at it now. The lamp, her bedside lamp light is on and there's parts of the room look dark where the cupboard is and the, the doorway to the... Presumably the, presumably the hallway, but I can see what you mean with like the window reflection. Of yeah, it's the colour of the light as well. So in, yeah. in, in film, the film temperature of different yeah. light bulbs that you use to light a scene, Yeah. when it's, when it's the sort of tungsten orange that tends to be indoor lighting. And then the colour of, um, of Millicent's light bulb is sort of the colour you normally use to simulate daylight when you're lighting a set. So yeah. that's what always kind of threw me. Yeah. I guess that, again, probably to throw the audience and think, wow, Victor's actually done this. Although you don't see him, we see more of a long shot of Millicent in bed on the telephone. The the side that someone would lie next, lie in, you know, that part of the, the duvet is ruffled, as it to suggest Victor was there and he's left. And, um, wow, yeah, that's, that's quite, quite dark in its own right, really, to... That's not very nice experience for Margaret, to say the least, to go through to take that kind of telephone call. No, yeah, and she, yeah, as you say, she really does rub it in, and she's like, "I don't think I need to paint a picture, do I?" But suffice to, to say, it was more fun than football. Yeah. And um, as she puts the phone down, she's got this sort of like cunning look on her face, sort of bites her bottom lip, looks very pleased with herself. She's she's really a, a bit of a, a dark yeah. character in that. Bit of a cow, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not not very nice at all. I mean, it brings us to back to the Meldrews. I don't know how much later. Probably within the hour, possibly. If we're looking, looking at real time, and Victor is looking a bit down in the dump, a bit flat. He's had a bit of an eventful evening, or lack not well, not an eventful evening. It's been a pretty dull from his point of view. Sort of yeah, things certainly haven't worked out the way that yeah. he hoped they would. Sort of pondering his thoughts. And Margaret walks in. She stood at the doorway, looking. She's sort of dressed in the black. I know it's done on purpose with arms behind. Yeah, arms she behind enters very silently and 
sort of yeah. appears behind him, almost like a threatening figure. You're back early. <laughs> Looking a bit and badass. Says, You're back early. Um, yeah. It's sort of quite a, a sort of deadpan delivery of that line. Yeah. Victor's none the wiser, and he he starts to reveal that he probably made a mistake and you know moments of weakness and blimey he's actually going to come clean and what what's this about then and he wants to get out of telling her really because he's actually tired he probably just wants to get to bed and margaret lets out a stern tell me about it <laughs> yeah she sort of like growls it at him yeah she's a great growler this one isn't as funny it's more like you feel shit victor's about to get a proper well he's gonna get he's in for it now and, and especially the way that we've been sort of the, the the way the scenes have played out, we've kind of been directed to believe that uh, that he has actually been unfaithful. So unless you know the outcome, I mean, at mm. that point you sort of have to kind of assume just based on what we've been given that yeah. uh, that that's what he is going to confess. I think when I watched this first, I thought he probably thought about it and changed his mind um, because you know he he starts to talk about his regret for locking Laverick in his porchway. Um, so he, he, he is remorseful of that. But actually, the prank he played on, he, he's not forgotten about it. He's shown his hum, humane side. I think actually that was a bit of a nasty thing to do back. Because all, all that Laverick's yeah. done, okay, he's done a, a, bod, a crappy job on the locks, but he just hasn't returned for it for a bit. So that versus locking someone out of their house who lives on their own as well it's probably worse but it it was funny at the time but yeah and that makes margaret sort of say what you're on about i'm on about millicent this is where i think the meldry's marriage shows us the audience how strong they are like it's like unconditional love for one another it's quite a powerful moment victor look me in the eyes and tell me nothing happened between you and millicent tonight and she's getting Victor to look in her eyes and tell her that you did not sleep with Millicent tonight. And he's absolutely perplexed by the mere thought. Yeah, he's got a suggestion. great look on his face, like of absolute amusement yeah. at, the, at the idea that, yeah. that he's actually being accused of this. Nothing happened between us. Absolutely nothing. You know, when he leaves his mouth wide open and just can't quite comprehend what he's been asked, it's just so... Yeah, he, he's probably thinking, how the hell would you even know I was around Millicent to start with and, and where have you got this information from? And it brings us... Uh, Margaret marches out of the, the house, doesn't she? And straight away to the next scene, she's... Well, Millicent's hallway and the door uh, rings and she goes to answer it and Margaret's at the door. She's very calm, isn't she? Margaret's confronting Millicent on why, why are you lying? And Millicent's still trying to keep up the... I don't call it a prank, but sort of the nasty lie. You know, she's still trying to convince Margaret that, you, you know, why was your husband in bed with me all, all night sort of thing. Just continue to antagonize yeah, she's like, her. He's, he's got you really well trained, and I never thought you were that gullible, Margaret, that sort of thing. Mm. We sort of have a very funny reveal of Margaret's secret weapon because from behind Margaret we see the boxing gloves have made a return. They were with us very very much so at the start of the episode and they've, they've served a, a good purpose because but before we get to um, the, bo the boxing gloves, what a, what a line from Margaret. It's called trust, Millicent. You should try looking it up in the dictionary sometime. It's next to trollop. <laughs> what you call a mic drop line. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it follows a left hook. 
She leaves on that on that note by saying, "In future, we'll be getting our potatoes from Sainsbury's." The look on Millicent's face, she can't believe it. She's clutching her her jaw, which is smashed. One of it is it breaks like that patient who looked like Mrs. Walboy's like a locked jaw. I wonder if she'll get that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a she? funny moment, Millicent. She she certainly is, and um, yeah, it's quite funny the way the way they play that whole scene with revealing the glove behind Margaret's back, and then of course the actual swing and the punches is very kind of comic funny looking with it even with a little sound effect to go along with it and all that because she she had that and, um, she had that stance of stood you know when she went to confront victor when she stood at the entrance mm. to the the living room she stood like that and she had her arms behind her back then so it's quite a good bit of continuation you know to fool the audience that she's nothing untoward is happening and then when you see the boxing gloves you think ah yeah brilliant it's a brilliant um i mean i Millicent, absolutely. I wonder if she is. She must have a reputation in the local area to do this to to the wives of husbands that she fancies. She's obviously very bitter that Victor turned her down. I wonder if Victor went through it. Would she have done the same thing? She's obviously trying to get back at Victor by trying to destroy a marriage. It's quite that's quite dark, really, when you think about it. It's a really evil thing to do. It's a good job that Margaret's trusting because she knows what Victor's like. He would. He's so not aware of his surroundings and and doesn't really read certain situations very well that's why she was like no, no way Millicent would fancy you proven wrong in that regard but she knows that Victor was very wary of of Millicent and didn't really want to be around her didn't want to go to the green grocers to pick up any vegetables because he felt uncomfortable around her so I think that's what sealed the deal not just because he looked her in the eye and said I you know, nothing happened she just knows that it's not it's not even Victor's cup of tea let alone the fact that he's just a faithful guy so yeah, what a great, what a great ending to. Well, it's not the end of the episode, but it, it draws a line un, under that part of the storyline. Yeah, enjoy her line as well. In future, we'll get our potatoes from Sainsbury's. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why, but like those little references to everyday British things, like the names of of shops and and stuff like that. I, I don't know. You, you'll probably find it weird, but to a foreigner like me, it's like it's kind oh. of like those sort of interesting details of another country that. No, I love it. There was one. There was one example of like um, in series one, Victor's saying like, "What what terrible thing is going to happen next?" Late night shopping at Budgeons is is one line, and I was just I was was like, "Budgeons, that sounds interesting." What's Budgeons? And then I was in the UK and I saw my first Budgeons. I mean, it wasn't the most had your picture outside sightseeing (laughs) experience of of my life, but it was. It was kind of a fun moment to see. Okay, that's sort of budgets. It's okay. I see now. Well, yeah. I mean, I I love it. I love it when when one foot in the grave mentions everyday little whether it, well everyday little things like well certainly there's a lot of product placement in one foot in the grave. Not just by you know you might see a bottle of Heinz ketchup, but they'll yeah, they'll mention Sainsbury's or they'll mention political figures, uh, anything that's going on at the time in pop culture. You can't really get away with that these days. They're not allowed to show you know certain products um not allowed to do the whole free advertising thing but yeah i i actually love it i don't really find it weird at all it's what sets one foot in the grave apart from most sitcoms who don't really mention those day-to-day things um these day-to-day little details that really go that really goes a long way yeah so when i spend time in the uk really i'm sort of like ticking off little references from one foot in the grave as i go around little things that i spot here and there yeah so when you come to the uk i suppose you've got yeah like got a checklist of things you want to check out to see not the big deal is, but uh, yeah, like Budgeons, for example. I mean, Budgeons is owned by Tesco's, just a little uh, useless fact for you. 
so final scene, Victor um, having a pee, uh, sort of almost mirrors the start of the uh, episode, although we didn't see Victor on the toilet. At, at this point, we're thinking, so what happened then? Because we saw you right. go up the stairs. Like, what? I'm really intrigued to know Victor's side of the story. How's your stomach? Yes, much better than it was when I was being sick in her bathroom. An hour and a half in the back of that van with all those rotting onions and then all those brandies. So wonder I've got any stomach left. That makes perfect yeah, sense. It's, it's a very sort of subtle, offhand explanation of what actually happened, but it, it sort, of, sort of wraps everything up quite, quite yeah. well for us in that, in that scenario. Yes, I'm glad Renwick did yeah, round that off nicely and Victor finishes by waggling his private parts to uh, make sure every last bit's come out. Like he said at the start, there's always that one last bit. It makes the point that he, there probably aren't quite all that many wives who would forgive him for going around <laughs> there in it. the first place just to watch football. And yeah. at least the shows were a bit more mature than that. Yeah. And of course, then we cut back to Margaret, who's sort of sitting Look. on the bed, sort of dabbing the old bass oil on another tissue going, oh, oh really? Mm, yes. Yeah. Because she's thinking, well, you were quite brave to do that. Yeah, you're not going to quite get away with this um, incident. And, of course, he the scene switches back to Victor from from behind now, grabbing a bit of toilet roll to dab his bits and, of course, lets out a huge scream, which brings a, a smile of joy to Margaret's face because things are normal again and she's got a little bit of her, her own back. Yeah, she sort of, like, she gets the message across that she, yeah, I'm still keeping an eye on you type of thing. Yes. But of course, um, it's an interesting link back to her and warm champagne because obviously she had a sort of a, a flirtation with, mm -hmm. uh, with, was it Ben? Yeah, and, it was Ben, um, yeah. I mean, yeah. arguably, she, she goes further down that sort of road than Victor ever did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she goes to the, the length of sort of almost deceiving Victor and then going out on a date with him and going back to his place. And then, I mean, That's even right. she, she's only kissing him goodbye, but she still gives him a great big kiss on the lips and all yeah. that yeah um so so i mean in the at the end of the day i mean margaret has her own her own uh, little bit of guilt in the back of the back That's of true. Her, her mind i suppose it just shows how much she cares for victor because she was she was very cross i mean beneath that her fierceness was probably some hurt in the moment when millicent told her that you know your husband's been in my bed all night but when when victor is screaming out for uh in pain because of the Elvis oil making contact with his privates. It's quite a clever little, well, not clever shot of such risk. I like the shot where it pans out. It's not a panning shot, but it's a so shot of outside like, of the back. It's a silhouette of Victor in the bathroom. Yeah. And um, then the camera sort of jibs down, and then we see, we um, see the, the, the waxwork. Wax. We see the, into, the, the uh, into the night sky as it's in the wheelie bin. Yeah. Yeah. And everything is wrapped up nicely. All the, you know, even, yeah. The waxwork being in the bin, it's definitely been chucked away. And yeah, and that shot was held for quite a few seconds, wasn't it? Before, when, as the credits were playing. Yeah, I think the credits actually start running mm. on that shot of uh, the waxwork. Yeah, I mean that must have cost the, B, uh, the BBC quite a lot of money to do uh, that waxwork. They wouldn't have been cheap. But oh, yeah, I thought yeah. it was a great, great episode. How does this episode rate for you at the whole of Series 5? It's been a favourite of mine for a long time. For the reasons I explained earlier, that sort of reconnection with One Foot in the Grave. Yeah. And, yeah, I enjoy the the whole the story with the, with the Millicent character. It's kind of a, 
it, it's not necessarily one of my favorite one foot in the grave stories, but as a whole, as an episode as a whole, yeah, um, I think it it it, work, it hangs together really nicely, and the waxwork is a is a great uh, little feature right, to it's it, a great especially touch, the scene it? where where Margaret puts the uh, lampshade on on Mrs. War, the real Mrs. Warboy's head. That's a, a yeah. favorite moment of mine, and I think yeah, Barbara Windsor is a memorable uh, guest star as well. Yeah, I think for there's loads of different one-off appearances. I think my overall favourite in series is Mr. Foskett in The Man Who Blew Away, but Millicent does play. But she doesn't play a likeable character, so it's never really going to be many people's favourite like likeable person, but she played the character really well. This series, as I mentioned, it got a drop in viewing figures. So Series 4 sort of reached 17.5 million sort of average, and then One Foot in the Hour got 20 million. But then this series averaged 12.5 million viewers a week. So quite it's quite a drop, and it just seemed to get a lot of stick. And I, I can't for the think for the life of me why. Everything there's so many good jokes and storylines and character yeah, I think development. It's a great it's brilliant. set of episodes. Yeah, um, all round really. Richard Wilson said he's so impressed with this particular episode that he tried to persuade David Renwick to air it uh, as a Christmas special instead of The Man Who Blew Away. Okay. So this highly rated by uh, by Richard Wilson. So he obviously thought it's probably one of the better ones. Like I mentioned, Dory Mansell wasn't um, impressed with the wax work. She couldn't stand it, apparently. She found it quite difficult to uh, to uh, work with, shall we, shall we say. But um, the Victor's prank on Nick Maloney's character, do you think it's warranted? To me, yes. I mean, to me, that's a classic um, Victor getting his own back moment. And I certainly wouldn't want it any other way myself. I, it's no. one of my favourites. Yeah. Um, it's raining again, listeners. You might be able to hear this on the mic. Sorry about that. Have you got time for a Meldrew moan? Uh, there's always time for a Meldrew moan. Let's go for it. Oh, I do not believe. Will you look at this, bastards? Can you believe the nerve of this? I'll skin their ruddy height for them. What do you like to get off your chest this week? I don't have anything nearly as good as last time, to be to be. That was pretty honest. solid, the load-shedding, lack of electricity. Um, that's hard to top. But uh, this this time, it's really a typical Victor moan. Okay. Um, like Victor, I have a, a bit of a problem of uh, litter on my lawn. And have you really? And the reason is that, that South Africa is a real epidemic of, of littering, to be, to be perfectly honest. It's, it's really atrocious, the amount of litter oh. lying around everywhere here. And also happens that I live in Cape Town, which is a very windy city. Right. So the, this, the litter gets picked up and blown over our wall constantly uh. and always lands up in our yard. Even just this afternoon, I found a, a supermarket carrier bag in a tree in our, in our yard. And just a couple of weeks ago, you'll hardly believe it, I found a fitted bed sheet in the same tree. I don't know how the hell that got there. Um, it's a bed sheet. If somebody's what? cast off bed sheet. I've ended up in our tree as well. I've wiped my nose at least three times on this, thinking it was a handkerchief. That's what Victor said, isn't it? In uh, timeless time. Uh, yeah. yeah. Do you have so, a, do you I mean, have a that quote? That reminded me of the uh, of the old um, the mattress that gets oh. dumped in the in the uh, skip. I sort of felt a slight connection to that with the bed sheet. Yeah. Yeah. There's that. Do you have a quote? Any of the any of the lines that Victor speaks of with certain litter he finds? Because he litter is well. I, I, one I use. I've used it several times. I walk in from the yard and say to my wife, I'm thinking of, of compiling a special observer's guide to crap on your front lawn. 
Oh, it's uh, Frazzles this week. Oh, Walkers. But even back in Series 1, when it seemed like every episode he was talking about the litter he'd, he'd find, mentioning yeah, a different brand each week. A yeah. Bix box and Burger, cheeseburger, you know, not like Burger King, Comes, Big Whopper yeah, cheese. About the, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair enough. I mean, if it's a reg- I mean, at least, I guess at least it's not, to your knowledge, anyone doing it on purpose, because that's more infuriating if it's just blowing from the bins and whatnot it's annoying but it's no one's targeting you as such i don't know if that makes any better at all yeah there's a certain amount that we suspect comes from the balcony of the flat above us but uh, okay you can never you can never be sure (laughs) gits well thank you for that moan matt and um thank you everyone for listening and next week i'll be reviewing rearranging the dust with nikki who's previously been on for the pit and the pendulum and the Comet Relief 93 special. Matt, thank you very much for your time, and um, I hope the pandemic is serving you as well as it can do, and I don't know what work is like for you at the moment, or social life and stuff. Is it, hopefully it's not too all over the place? It's not too bad. Work's keeping me relatively busy. That's good. Uh, we're actually moving house soon. We've just, we just bought a, a house recently, so we're going to be moving in about a month's time, so that's going to be a, a uh, bit okay. of an adventure. Moving... Uh, a little bit further out of town uh, to a sort of quiet neighborhood near the sea, which is going to be pretty oh, cool. I love it. Well, congratulations. Well, if, when you're able to hold a housewarming party, um, just make sure you attend the right house at the right property because uh, if you speak to Victor, he twice entered the wrong house. So it's easily done. Yeah, just I'll definitely to... be aiming not to make that mistake. Yeah, fab. All right. Well, thank you, Matt, for your time. And thank yeah. you, listeners, back home. You can get in touch by emailing onefootinthepodcast at gmail.com. I'm ever present on Twitter, onefootinthepod, Instagram as well, onefootinthepod again. Yeah, get in touch if you'd like to uh, have a chat about the show. Um, I've got full capacity for episodes now from guests who've kindly volunteered their time. But I will be doing other episodes, standalone episodes in the future. So not to say you can't come on then. Yeah, nothing else to say. But thank you very much, everyone. Take care, and I'll speak to you next week. Like one foot in the grave Like one foot in the grave